This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast, coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh Hamilton, and with me today is Pastor Brandon Starnes. We want to welcome you here today for another episode on the Rejoicing in the Word podcast. And before we get too far in, we want to remind you that we have a Rejoicing in the Word blog. You can find that at www.svbcpa.org forward slash rwblog. So we just want to offer that out there as an encouraging resource for you, and hopefully you'll take advantage of it. So this episode, we're going to be looking, we're back in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 12 specifically, and we're looking at attributes of one rejoicing, and that of someone who is humble in the Spirit. So we're going to be looking at Paul's life once again. Well, he's an excellent person to take a look at and to consider. Uh, There's so much of his life that is chronicled for us in the New Testament, preserved for us by the writings of scriptures. And as you examine Romans chapter 1, you'll find here the life of an individual some 13 times that makes a personal, first-person pronoun reference to themselves that's preserved for us. The last several weeks, we've looked at Romans chapter 1 in regards to these attributes to note that he was thankful uh, for the Roman believers, that he was uh, encouraged in the fact that he had a heartfelt service, that he served God from his spirit, that he had submissiveness in his spirit, and also uh, a matter of a loving spirit, a compassionate spirit, if you will. And today, as we bring forth this new section, we're going to find in verse number 12, a fifth attribute of one that is rejoicing in the Lord. Romans chapter 1 and verse 12. Romans 1 verse 12 says this, That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Comforted together. That is the optimal word for today. Uh, This denotes a level of uh, expression, if you will, of humility. He is the apostle, not those in the Roman church. And he is uniquely qualified as an apostle and also uniquely gifted as an apostle. Uh, There's a number of unique experiences that were personally uh, had by him, not by those in the church at Rome. And you got to wonder, what was it about them that was an encouragement a uh, level of humility that, that they were able to encourage him in the work of the Lord. After all, you know, he's born out of due season. You know, I think also it's interesting. We think of Paul as a super Christian or someone who is, you know, completely different than us. But we find here that he's really, he's just like us. He needed to be comforted as well. Yes. And so we find several things here. I think one of the things that we could look at is the believers that he's looking at, he's being comforted by them, by their faithfulness and in Rome especially, there was great persecution going on. Christians are being persecuted for their faith, yet they're remaining faithful. Yes, and he says over in Romans chapter 1, the first few verses, that their faith uh, had been been seen throughout all of nations. I, th- I think that's maybe about verse number 5. And that's an important thing to consider, not, not just their faith as far as saving faith, but also their whole embrace of the sound teachings of the Word of God. It was well spoken of. This was a pagan city. This is a city of idolatry. This is a city, as we'll talk in a moment, full of hubris and all manner of evil. And yet they remained steadfast. They were transformed. Romans chapter 12 comes to mind. And they, in those matters, were an encouragement to the Apostle Paul. They're faithful. They're thankful. Um, Another, that would be an encouragement as well to the Apostle Paul. Um, Another thing is their provision for him. Oh, no doubt that they were one of the churches, perhaps, that, you know, encouraged him uh, for the work of God's sake. 
I think in Romans chapter 16, you've got the uh, testimony of Aquila and Priscilla. And here's two individuals, the scripture says, laid down their necks for him. Uh, there's a level of provision that they had as well. So this statement that they're comforted together, it showcases a great example of Paul's personal humility. And of course, the scripture has so much to say about humility and its opposite, if you will, pride. Uh, there are a number throughout the scriptures, a number of stern warnings about pride. Proverbs, of course, is full of them. Yeah, let's look at some of those. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 16 verse 5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's strong language there. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. I like Proverbs 29. It kind of has the theme of what we're trying to capture in our podcast today. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. That's really the the essence of what we're trying to communicate. One of the reflections of someone that's persistent in their rejoicing in the word, ultimately rejoicing in God, they have a humble spirit. And Romans chapter 12 and Galatians also remind us of the importance of humility in our life. We also have that classic verse in Proverbs 16. Verse 18 that everyone knows about, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You hear people quoting that all the time. Well, it's it's certainly true. Yeah. Uh, over in uh, Romans chapter 12, he talks about mind not high things. You know, when I think of pride, one of the reasons there's so many warnings about it in Scripture, it's appealing to our natural man. The Scripture tells us that the glory of a young man is his strength. Now, we know that that strength's going to dissipate with time, but you can watch some of these young fellows, little fellows, and they'll go around, oh, look how strong and how fast I am. Um, Our natural man loves to be uplifted, loves to be consulted or praised in a state in which it is not truly deserved of. And there's a warning about this throughout scriptures. Mind not these high things. It's appealing to our natural man. We should look at 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So it is appealed to by the God of this world. Yes, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, just garden variety, if you will. In the Garden of Eden, you see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The pursuit of the argument with, with even such was, you'll be as God's. Innately, I mean, that method of, of order and operation has not changed to this date with the allure of our flesh, nor its successful attack by the temptation of this world. And there's something, the world appeals to that. And pride's always devastating. It was in the Garden of Eden, and it still is today. I mean, there's biblical examples that speak of that matter of just how devastating truly pride is. You know, I think about Saul, King Saul, and... Um, you know, how many times he stepped outside of where he should have been. Uh, he he lifted up his position there. He sacrificed whenever that was for the prophet to sacrifice. I mean, uh, consideration, what a, what a terrible conclusion. And yet, uniquely, what a great start. Uh, head and shoulders, people looked to Saul. He, he was delivering them to victory. He was was coalescing the, the various tribes and factions together, and yet he reaches to the point in his life where he doesn't have to obey God because he's king. 
He doesn't have to submit in matters of sacrifice because, after all, he's king. He can have incomplete obedience. You can't challenge it. He's king. And you see that just that level of malignant pride in his life so manifested. And part of the destruction was he had convinced himself that he's the only right one. What what a dangerous attitude can be present in our life, too. It is sad whenever someone wastes their potential that, you know, the potential that of God using them to, I mean, Saul had great potential. Great potential. He wasted his friends. He wasted his resources. He, he wasted just a legacy. He, there could have been a different legacy. Uh, surely the kingdom was going to go to David. Surely prophetically it was going to have to go through the line of Judah. But it did not have to transpire in the nature it did. All that's related to Paul, uh, to rather Saul's being elevated in pride. Uh, he wasted all of that. A, a different legacy that could be had. No wonder the warnings of scriptures regarding pride are so profound. You know, another thing about Saul is it seems like he saw himself as the end of it, like he was the one piece of the puzzle, whenever in fact he was just a small part of God's plan. And a redemptive part of it. I mean, he is out of the tribe of Benjamin. This was a tribe that was supposed to be eradicated, and yet they have been exalted, almost eradicated, exalted to the highest office in the land. He could have just joyed, rejoiced, if I can put it this way, in God's goodness, but rather he condescended in his own pride. And his life is an example, if you will, a warning for us. And we have with with pride, I mean, there's a great weight that comes. It's a source of great temptation. We it, just touched on that. It's not empty. It doesn't, it's just not something that occurs. When, when we engage in uh, in a mind and, and actions that are brought about by pride, it should be considered that it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There are things that occur with it. One of them, as you mentioned, and we've touched on, is that matter of temptation. We are very susceptible um, to temptation when we engage in a lifestyle and mental consideration of pride. I think of James chapter 1, for when lust hath conceived, what is that? That That's our desires acting upon. When we consider ourselves better than God's authority, greater than God's command, lust hath conceived, and when it's conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin bringeth forth death. So yes, uh, one of the great weights of pride is it's a source of temptation. You know, I think of another great weight, and this affected Saul. We see this in Saul's life. is It's a stress on our fellowship with the Lord. And we see that in Saul's life specifically. I mean, he was a man that could have been could have had a great relationship with the God of Israel, yet he threw that away. And eventually, we find he was even going to witchcraft and wanted to hear from uh, the seer and wanted to hear from Samuel. And I mean, one of the great privileges of being a child of God is to have fellowship with Him. First John speaks of this matter. Yet we have interrupted that glorious opportunity when we are so full of ourselves, just so self-absorbed that we're the end of all things. And just as you mentioned there with Saul, uh, deviating so far apart, but, but another part of that is God's hand was against him. Right. God's hand was against him. He had resisted. And that's the same thing that you find in First Peter and in uh, James um, chapter 4. four six. Yes, that God resisteth the proud. And we'd miss an opportunity. The word picture there for resist, it's like, to go against in full military regalia. I mean, to throw everything, including the kitchen sink at them. 
That's that's God's attitude towards pride. Be that in the life of the unbeliever, be that in the angelic believer, you know, Lucifer, the I wills I'm going to do, or even be that in the life of believers as well. God will not bless. He will resist us if we engage. It's one of the calls and effects, if you will, of pride in the life of a believer. Well, it's one of the things that God hates, a proud look. We would find that over in Proverbs as well. Yeah, it, you know, when you couple temptation and broken fellowship together, you're going to tread into the area of transgressing God's desire, sin, if you will. And Proverbs chapter 6, as you alluded to, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And right off the bat, it's a proud look. A proud look. Uh, someone has once said that that pride is really, it could be looked at as the citadel of all evil. It is the directive by which all the rivers of sin flow. And what a terrible tragedy that it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It brings with it a continual weight. What do you think about even in our obedience to the Lord, the moment we determine that we're going to disobey. Why? It's because we're lifting ourselves up above God's way. Absolutely. And so this great wisdom, right, in the matter of humility. I think of Ephesians chapter 5. God loves when his children resemble him. In Ephesians chapter 5, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Nothing brings God greater joy than when our lives are submissive, humbly yielding to him. I think of Philippians 2, 8 as well. It says, let this mind be in you, Well, we, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we find in that passage that Christ took upon himself the form of a servant. He came and he lived among men, the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And that was not something that could be done in pride. That is complete humility. Well, I mean, when you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, the diadem of heaven, uh, Colossians tells us that he created all things. All things were created by him. All things consist by him. He is the very image of the Godhead mightily. When you consider all of this about Jesus Christ, and yet he condescended into the form of a man and died on the cross of Calvary, there could be no more barbaric, antithetical death by which one could die. I mean, the distinctions are polar opposites. It was even humiliating. I mean, hung upon a cross, that was the most humiliating way to Beaten, die. falsely accused, all, all the way down to the conclusion. I mean, they're mocking him. The showcase fully on display by the divine Son of God in grand humility. That's what God wants for us. If we're going to have the joy of the Lord, if that's going to be our strength, it will be our only strength. Too often, we we, we tend to resist the working of God in our life because we would rather uh, rely on our own strength and measures. And and sometimes we'll allude to it in a very subtle way. Even that will ultimately bring a demise in our life. You know, I think that as we're toiling, as we're working in our ministries that we're involved in in church or even just in living as a Christian ought to live in our workplace, uh, wherever you find yourself. As spouses, as fathers, children's parents, yes. Uh, God loves humility in the life of his children. And so all the joy of the Lord will come into full bloom in our life as we showcase show forth humility. humility. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, God has promised to lift up those who are exalted in his sight. Uh, those that are least among those, I think of Matthew. Uh, in Matthew, he quotes, So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. 
Those are great consideration. God has not forgotten those who will humble themselves in their mind and action to see God's working, even humbling themselves in great tribulation and rejoicing in his grand hope. That takes us to the verse for the day. We're in Romans chapter 12 and verse 12 for the verse, and we find this, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And so with that, we want to leave you encouraging and challenging you to continue rejoicing in the word. Thank you for listening.